0: Thank you, Father, that you want to meet with us here, that you want to speak to our hearts, and that by beholding Jesus, that we would be transformed. Lord, help us to see Jesus as revealed in your word. May he be lifted up in our hearts. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. They were all crowded around a BMW x X1, I guess. It was a brand new car, and they were all crowded around it, 20 people with their hands on it. And the funny thing was, they were all crowded around with their hands on it, and they each had one foot off the ground. And they were doing this for hours. You see, this was a contest in China to see who could walk home, drive home, I should say, maybe they walk there, could get the keys to this brand new BMW and drive home. And they said, The deal is you have to stand on one foot and the last man standing gets to keep the BMW. I think I could stand a really long time for a BMW. How about you? Okay, but you need to try it. Try standing on one foot while I tell you the rest of the story, right? Can you do it? I need to, no, I mean, really, stand up, stand up. It helps to get the oxygen flowing, the blood flowing. You sit too long, it's not good for you. All right, so stand up, all right, stand on one foot. Okay, so they're standing there on one foot. They started at 9.30 in the morning, Get to one o'clock and they had something up their sleeve in order to make this competition only last for one day. Because people are pretty desperate in order to keep uh, to get keep the keys to this BMW. And so what they did was they said, okay, now you have to go up on your toe. Right? So try that. This is crazy. I mean they had a car to lean against, right? All right. So at one thirty they said, okay, and they and they took and they put Underneath each of their heels, you can sit down if you want. <laughs> underneath each of their heels, they put flour so that they could judge to see if their heel happened to touch the ground. And they were out like that. And the hours ticked on until seven and a half hours, I believe it was, had passed by. And finally, the last man was standing. And everybody else, you should see, and even him, he's just like, they took a picture of him and he's collapsed in front of the BMW. And you have people, there's pictures of people just laying on the ground, totally wasted from trying to stand on one foot. But you know, somebody else has stood, if you look at the Guinness Book of World Records, for 76 hours, and I believe it's 40 minutes or something like that. The Bible says something fascinating. If you open your Bibles to Revelation chapter 6, where we've looked at how there's these four horsemen that come that's right after Jesus alone is worthy to open that scroll that contains the history of this planet. He alone is worthy to take this planet from the mess that it's in and to transform it into something beautiful. And we see this, this picture of history and the four horsemen. And then, then the fifth seal is open. And we read it last week that, that below this altar, figuratively, those who have been killed for believing the gospel are crying out, How long until you judge, O oh God? Then the sixth seal is open. And when the sixth seal is open, suddenly there's these different signs that are happening. There's an earthquake happens. There's the sun growing dark and the moon growing red. And all these, the stars are falling. The world is, is seemingly just in Chaos. And I believe that these signs were fulfilled in the 1700s, 1800s. You had the the Lisbon earthquake. You had the dark day. And I believe that specifically because in that time, it inspired people to recognize that Bible prophecy was important and that Jesus was coming soon. But I believe that there may be a further fulfillment of that as we get closer, as, as things keep wrapping up. But notice what then happens. Verse 14, Then the sky receded as a scroll when it is rolled up, and every mountain and island was moved out of its place. Right, this hasn't happened yet, guaranteed. Imagine what that is like. How would you be feeling if, if every island and mountain was moved out of its place and the sky is ripping apart? What's going to be going through your mind in that time? You know, If it's me, I'm thinking, oh, how am I going to save my family? How am I going to survive? How am I going to go through this? And here's the thing. Of all of the people on this planet who are focused on self-preservation, on their own lives, the Bible says that something different is going to be going through their minds. Something entirely different than what you would expect. Watch what happens. Verse six fifteen says, And the kings of the earth and the great men, the rich men, the commanders, the mighty men, every, every slave and every free man. So, I mean, imagine this is like the richest men. This is all of the politicians that you see on, on TV all the time. This is everybody on the planet Every rich man, every, every slave, at least everybody that has this type of reaction, not everybody's going to react like this. But it goes on to say, verse 16, they, uh, or verse 15 continues, they hid themselves in the caves and in the rocks of the mountains and said to the mountains and rocks. Remember, the mountains and rocks are all in chaos. You would expect them to be running from the mountains and the rocks, but instead, look at what they're saying. Fall on us and hide us. From the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. Right? There's not much rain right under this redwood if anybody wants to move that. And there's a re- another couple redwoods that direction if you want to get under the trees. Uh, I'm under a tree right now and I can't feel any of it. So anyway, just to give you a little hope. But uh, so so it's crazy, right? They're not worried about the chaos in the world. The, the world is imploding around them. The, this planet it's going crazy, and, and they're saying, oh, man, let this fall on me to save me from the wrath of the Lamb. And we'll come back to that. Then look at the next question. For the great day of his wrath, again is repeated, has come, and who is able to stand? Who, who is able to stand? Who is the one that can stand? And, and what is the answer to this question? Is it the one with the strongest calf muscles, the the one with the best balance? Is it who can stand in the end? Is it the one who prepares in the best possible ways in order to be able to make it through the chaos on this planet? Is that what the Bible tells us? Like, we better start prepping. Maybe we need to build a bunker in order to make sure that we can survive what's coming. Is that what Revelation is pointing us to? Well, let's find out. John is immediately told the answer to this in verse chapter 1. And it's not necessarily going forward in time. Don't feel bad if you need to move under a tree or wherever you need to move. <laughs> I don't, don't, You don't have to feel bad. All right, verse 1. After these things, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding the four winds of the earth that the wind should not blow on the earth, on the sea, or on any tree. It's really dry under this tree, I'm telling you. I haven't felt rain very much yet. We can even pause for a second if you want to move, if anybody still needs to move. All right. So here's the crazy thing. It's saying, hey, the four winds representing the four points of the compass in Revelation and often in the Bible when it talks about four, it's, it's representing the universality. That, that This encompasses everything. It's saying, hey, these four winds, they're coming from all directions. This represents the entire planet is involved in this. Who's involved in this? The entire planet. And then it says that that th- these winds would come and they'd create destruction. So you see this picture that, that God is wanting to protect from destruction taking place. Because watch what happens. Then I saw another angel ascending from the east, having the seal of the living God. So first of all, east. Is where you find Jesus coming from. It's where you find uh, hope coming from. It's, it's, it's the direction of the Garden of Eden. This is the direction that you want to be, right? So coming from the east, this angel comes ascending from the east, having the seal of the living God. Now, a seal in the Bible, in Bible times, was often used for a document. A lot of people would have a signet ring, especially kings are really important people, but you even find people like Judah, one of Jacob's sons, had a little signet. So you you have this signet, and you write an important document, and then you put wax on it, and then you put your insignia on it. It's the symbol of of who you are. That only You're you're, you're preserving what is written in that document. Does that make sense? Uh, Another example might be this. How many of you have ever done canning or... Uh, put applesauce in jars. What do you have to do after you put the applesauce in the jar? Heat it up. You've got you to gotta create a seal in order for it to be preserved. So this is good news. God says, hey, there are winds of destruction, strife, that are going to blow on this planet. A- and the picture isn't that God's saying, yeah, I am going to get those people. The picture instead is, hang on, wait, as long as possible. Hold back the destruction that this planet has chosen for itself. Hold it back as long as possible until I can seal as many people as possible so that they are going to be preserved. Good news, huh? And then it goes on to say the uh, number of those who were sealed. Uh, so, saying, verse 3 saying, Do not harm the earth, the sea, till we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. Verse 4 And I heard the number of those who were sealed. 144,000 of all the tribes of the children of Israel were sealed. Okay, but if if you're just reading Revelation literally, and you get to this point, it might be kind of terrifying, don't you think? 144,000 is not very many people. There are 300 million people in the United States. There are 7 billion people on the planet. There are 20 million Seventh-day Adventists. Are you one of the special? All right. so there's another... Um, Another religion that practices something that they claim is sort of like the Lord's Supper. And a friend of mine went to this. And she was joining another person who had a father who's in this religion. And they pass around bread at this thing. And, and as the bread comes around, she's actually a Seventh-day Adventist Christian. And she's like, oh, I'm going to take the bread. This represents Jesus. And she goes to grab for the bread. And he's like, no, don't touch it. Only the 144,000 can take the bread. Some religions believe that. The literal number of people that these are the only ones that are going to be saved. What does the Bible reveal? And and so you have 144,000 and then you have this wrath of God that's revealed. And what is that talking about? Look at James chapter 1 and verse 18 or 19. James chapter 1. So James is just a few uh, books back in the New Testament right after Hebrews. James chapter 1 and verse 19 says it this way. So then my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath, for the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Here's the problem that we have when we come to the Bible that I have is when I read into the Bible and I say wrath, I picture my wrath. I picture my anger, but let me tell you, my anger does not produce the righteousness of God. I got to tell you a story. So I was in high school, and I loved to play basketball during lunch break. The guys, we would go to the gym. We'd be there as fast as we could. We'd scarf down some food if we were going to eat. Sometimes we'd skip lunch and eat in our next class so that we could play basketball together. But something happened towards the end of the year. I thought it was that the the teachers were getting lazy and that they wanted to go on their lunch break and have time or do something else. They didn't want to open the gym. So I was really fed up with this. And one day, my friends and I, we walk to the door of the gym, and it's closed. I said, we're going to find a way into this gym. We are playing basketball today. So we go around the gym, and we go around, and we find another entrance that's open through the locker rooms. And we go into the locker rooms. And I said, yeah, here it goes. And so we get up, and we get to the gym door from the locker room. It's locked. I was angry. The anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. I said, this is injustice. I'm going to make things right here and now by hurting those who have refused to open the gym for us. And so I went to a locker and I found somebody had their hair gel in a locker and I took that into the bathroom and I began to spray it all around the locker room. And there's just streams of hair gel around the locker room. And then we finished doing that and we're walking out of the hall and I noticed that there's a Fire alarm there that has glass on the front of it. And I thought, you know, it's fun. I have always wanted to know what it's like in an emergency to have to break one of those. I think I'm going to do that right now. I'm angry. I'm not thinking straight. Anger, have you noticed that anger doesn't let us think straight? People in society today, have you seen anybody angry? You might be angry today here about some of the stuff that's going on in the world today. Our anger does not lead to the righteousness of God. You see, In in that day, I took that metal piece and I shattered the glass. And then I said, oh, let's get out of here. The fire alarm didn't go off. Thankfully, I didn't pull that. And we took off. And the next few days, it was an interrogation. Who did this? You know, when, when you do things in anger and you're not sorry about it, you do everything possible to protect yourself. And so I began to tell those few friends who were with me, look, if you tell who did this, you will pay. Don't tell anybody, right? Or else you're going to get hurt. The anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Is that pretty clear? All right? Was that, was that a righteous indignation that I had? No. It was the exact opposite of that. And here in the Bible, when we come and we read the wrath of God, we sometimes picture, well, okay, he got crucified and now he's coming back and he is really angry with this planet. And so he's going to destroy them because of his anger towards them. And we picture it as like the type of anger that we have. But look at Romans chapter 12 with me. Romans is a great book for understanding what the wrath of God is all about. And we don't have time to look in detail at all of that, but I encourage you to just look up the word wrath and look throughout the Bible to see what is it actually referring to? That's the important thing in the Bible is to understand What is this actually talking about? But in Romans chapter 12, earlier on in chapter 1, it says that, hey, because of their choices, they are being given over, and that's what's described as the wrath of God. They're given over into the consequences of their choices. And and it sums it up like this. The wages of sin is death. Separation from God, separation from the the way that he's designed the planet. If you break the law of gravity, what happens? You're going to fall and hurt yourself. If you break the laws that God has designed for the planet, the law of love, selfless, other-centered love, it will react upon your life in ways that hurts you as you separate from God, as you separate from his law. The wages of sin is death. Well, look at what it says. Thinking about my crazy high school experience and wanting to get vengeance for myself because I was experiencing injustice. Look at verse 19. Romans chapter 12 and verse 19. It says, beloved, do not avenge yourselves but rather give place to wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Now, a lot of years I've read this text and I thought, oh, good. So I don't have to take a baseball bat to that person for hurting my friend because God will do it later on. Hopefully we don't think in quite terms like that, but have you ever thought like that before? Like, hey, I don't have to worry about hurting that person because God will hurt them for me. Is that what this text is saying? If it were, I would have a difficult time loving a God like that. I have to be honest with you this morning. But look at what it goes on to say. Verse 20. Therefore, because of this, because vengeance is God's, therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed them. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, watch this, you will heap coals of fire on his head, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with God with good. Is God good? The Bible says over and over that God is good. You see that God is in the business of overcoming evil with good. And that's why he refuses. You might think, why is the world so crazy? That's why he refuses to step in with force right now and put an end to things. Because he is using good to overcome evil. It's a, it's a bigger picture of what needs to take place on this planet. He's actually holding things back from getting worse as long as possible so that as many people can be sealed as possible. As many people. And what does sealing mean? <clears throat> so in the Bible, you have the Holy Spirit is the one that we're told that seals. Uh, and sealing, you, you know that a seal would take place, and they would imprint what even for a king would have like his own picture on it, onto that seal as it put into the wax. God wants for you and I to so recognize who he is and let that be drilled into us that in the end, we're not like the kings and the the great men of the earth who are running and saying, I would rather commit suicide in the mountains. I'd rather these rocks fall on me than to meet this lamb who has wrath towards me. But I think Revelation is really intentional. You notice that it says the wrath Of the Lamb. Every time in Revelation, except for Revelation 13 where it's talking about the Antichrist, when the Lamb appears, it's representing the cross of Jesus Christ, which represents that the God of the universe loves you more than himself so much so that he went down and he kept giving himself up for our salvation to the extent that he let himself be nailed to a cross. And he, more importantly, as we'll look at in a minute, took all of the guilt and all of the shame from my bad choices to do dumb things in locker rooms, to hurt people around me, to all of your choices, and he chose to lay down his life willingly and freely for you. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil by good. I, I think that this would be really helpful in our world today. Because there's a whole lot of hatred going around. There's a whole lot of anger going around. And this is how we're trying to solve problems. One wrong doesn't make a, two wrongs don't make a right, right? That's one way to say it. <laughs> so look at what God really wants for us in replicating his character in us. Matthew chapter 5, Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, talks about what that picture of the Father is like, and he says, you're going to have the same exact picture in your life. Matthew chapter 5, it's midway into the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus suddenly goes into something similar that we see Paul later, later saying. That's where he got it from. Verse 44, But I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven, for he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and he sends rain on the just and on the unjust. Well, the fact that it was raining here in church, I'm not surprised because you guys are good people, right? You know, you're righteous people. So, of course, But was it raining? I mean, maybe there's some unrighteous people in our neighborhood. Do you think it was raining over there too? Jesus says, yeah. Jesus sends the rain. He sends the sun on every person on the planet. And then it goes on to describe, and he says, we should be just like our Father. It says, for if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even the tax collectors do the same thing? And if you greet your brothers only, what do you do more than they Do not even the tax collectors do so? Now, when people were coming to John the Baptist, he said, you brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the wrath to come. You need to bear fruits in keeping with repentance. And people were like, wait, what does that mean? What are you talking about? He said, well, if you see somebody without a coat, take your coat off and give it to them. If you see that uh, you're collecting taxes as a tax collector, don't collect more than you should. If you're a soldier, don't make them carry your don't 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 complain about your wages and you need to treat people with love even your enemies. And then it says this. One of the the most poignant parts of the Sermon on the Mount, verse 48. Therefore you will be perfect just as your father in heaven is perfect. Now you could read that and be terrified. Like okay, so God's going to come back and I'm in trouble. If I haven't figured out how to be perfect like God is perfect, and if he's perfectly loving, he's good, I have to be honest, I have anger issues. I have problems with people. Maybe you're thinking, well, that neighbor, I wish it wouldn't rain on their house. I wish that the, that the sun didn't shine on them. But God is making you a promise. He says you will be perfect even as your Father in heaven is perfect. Who is the one who does the sealing? Who imprints the character of God on us? God he says wait don't let the wrath blow on this planet don't let what they have sown be reaped until I preserve as many as people as as possible in my character that they recognize who I am and that in beholding they become transformed so Isaiah is one of the places that that revelation is pulling from in saying who's going to be able to stand this 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 phrase is used in Malachi chapter 3 that we looked at recently where God comes as a refining fire It says, who's able to to withstand as he comes back? But look at Isaiah chapter 33. Isaiah chapter 33 and verse 14. It says, the sinners in Zion are are afraid. Okay, so just so you know, Zion is where God's people are. This isn't talking about the people out there. Oftentimes we're talking about, man, if the world were a different place. This is saying the sinners in Zion are terrified. Fearfulness has seized the hypocrites. Who among us shall dwell with the devouring fire? Who among us shall dwell with everlasting burnings? He who walks righteously and speaks uprightly. Righteousness is likeness to God and God is love. The the one that walks in love. He who despises the gain of oppressions. I guess it's a little more difficult because it's kind of making things really specific because I think about it, I didn't check out where this shirt came from and what oppression might have taken place in order for me to be able to have a cheap price for this shirt in order to be able to enjoy my life. I'll give you an example. One of you sent me, Bob actually sent me a video recently. Uh, CBS did a special called uh, The Flavorful Story of Vanilla or something like that. And they were talking about how vanilla can only be born, be grown in either Madagascar or in Mexico. They started figuring out how to do it there. But there's a certain insect that has to pollinate this orchid in order for the vanilla bean pod to grow. Did you know that? Well, they have figured out how to do it by hand. And they'll do it with millions of orchids because there's, you know, not every place has the, the insect. And this these bean pods are so valuable that they are worth more than silver. In Madagascar, there are some of the majority of, of people are in prison for ske- stealing vanilla bean pods. In fact, the farmers, when, when the beans are beginning to, to come out, they go and they tattoo their name on, or, or their business on each and every vanilla bean pod, in order to make sure that it could be traced. And they'll spend day and night in that field to be there to make sure that their vanilla beans are okay. And there's a lady in our community who sounds like an awesome lady who goes over there to make sure that sh- the process is happening, right? And th- on the special, they showed this guy who's he's making sure that, that the profits are going to the people. Because there's a, there's a whole system that's robbing these people because Madagascar is one of the poorest countries on the, pl- on the planet, And yet they have this this liquid silver, this silver growing all around them. And yet they're in abject poverty. It shouldn't be that way. Not in God's system. God wants for you and I to be agents of change, going to the people and influencing people in the way that we possibly can. Who's going to be able to stand in the end? Those who despise oppression. And oppression can take a lot of different forms. It can take... Take the form of, of profiting off of anybody at their expense. It can take the form of, of being a landlord and charging rent just because you can, or at a high rate that's higher than you need in order to get what you need at somebody's expense. It could come as a business person and and, and how you treat your business associates or business deals. Let's be real, all of us, probably without knowing it, benefit from somebody else who's working really hard, maybe in a field somewhere in order to make sure that we have enough food on our table, that we have clothes on our back. And the Bible says that we need to despise the gain that comes by oppression. Then it goes on to say this. Verse, oh, uh, my Bible flipped pages. Chapter 33 and verse 15 continues. It says, He who stops his ears from hearing of bloodshed and shuts his eyes from seeing evil. Okay, this is getting more difficult. All we hear about on the news is bloodshed, and and all we seem to see is evil all the time. I mean, we are we going to walk around with blindfolds on? It might not hurt sometimes. In fact, there's a fascinating study that was done by the American uh, Medical Journal, Journal of the American Medical Association in 1992, and it found this out. They were studying television, isolated television. And the effects that it has had on violence. Violence depicted on television caused a subsequent doubling of the homicide rate in America 15 years later. Did you know that? The same thing, they they checked it with what happened in South Africa and Canada when television was introduced. When you see something taking place, it has an impact on your mind. It goes on to say, if TV had never been developed... In the U.S., 10,000 fewer homicides each would, would happen each year. There'd be 70,000 fewer rapes and 700,000 fewer injurious assaults. The AMA, the APA, the American Academy of Pediatrics, and American Academy of Child and Adolescent Psychiatry made a joint statement to the United States Congress saying this, well over 1,000 studies point overwhelmingly to a causal connection between media violence, and aggressive behavior in some children. Wow. Did you realize the impact that what we see has on us? Maybe it's time for a media fast for me and for some of us that we say, hey, I'm going to focus on things that are filled with love. I'm going to focus on things that are filled with God's character. The good news is that uh, Stanford did a study, and I won't go through all the details, but they found that kids who were encouraged to have to turn off violent TV shows and violent uh video games found a 50% decrease in verbal aggression and a 40% decrease in physical aggression and the Thomas Robinson the assistant professor of medicine at Stanford went on to say what this says is there is something you can do in a practical way in a real world setting and you can see the effects So Isaiah says, who wants to stand? Do you want to have God's loving character imprinted on you? Do you want to be this type of person? Here's some practical things you can do. Hate oppression around you. Just anywhere that you see unjust things happening, hate it. And when you recognize that there's violence taking place, that there are are things that, that you don't want to see, you don't want to actually participate in turn it off and then it goes on to give this amazing promise that is referring to that end times like how are we going to survive it how are we going to make it when this when things get worse on the planet chapter 33 continues with this beautiful promise it says he will dwell on high his place of defense will be the fortress of rocks bread will be given him his water will be sure god wants to seal us in his character of love Let's be honest, it's not natural for us to love. And it would be an intimidating prospect if I had to somehow work up this love inside of me. But Romans chapter 5 and verse 5 says, Hope, this hope of being like God does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who is given to us. Psalm chapter 130, while you're turning there, I'll tell you a little bit more uh, of my story. Psalm chapter 130. So years go by. And I'm thinking to myself, you know, the Holy Spirit's working on my heart. Zach, there's a lot of different things. And I've had to write a lot of different letters, call a lot of different people. And maybe there's some of you that I should. Please come and tell me if there's something I did to you that I need to tell to to make things right with you. But I said I need to write a letter to that principal and let him know what I did. But I remember actually having terror in my heart thinking, ah, I really like him and I I think that it's good that he likes me and I think that we should continue this relationship. And what's he going to think of me when I write this letter to him? I don't know how he's going to react. I don't know how he'll treat me after this. But I went ahead and I wrote him about what I had done back in high school in vandalizing the locker room and vandalizing the fire fire, um, alarm. Look at Psalm chapter 130. David, who had committed murder, adultery, He'd stolen a guy's wa- wife and murdered the guy. And not only that, he was involved in all types of war and killing tons and tons and tons of people. And you find in the Psalms that he is dealing with the results of that in his own heart. As you're finding Psalm 130, did you know that so recently, Time Magazine, this is a little more recent, this is in the um, mid-2000s, Time magazine wrote in an article, what happens in the brain when people kill? Evil isn't easy. Say what you will about history's monsters. They had to overcome a lot of powerful neural wiring to commit the crimes they did. The human brain, check this out. This is the Times magazine saying this. The human brain is coded for compassion. Your brain is coded for compassion they did this in a study they found that people watching violent acts that certain parts of their brain would communicate in the frontal lobe and and they saw that people that had stronger responses but everybody had some sort of response and and they said maybe eventually you can tell who's more prone to kill based on how how well their brain responds the human brain is coded for compassion for guilt for a kind of empathetic pain that causes the person inflicting harm to feel a degree of suffering that is in many ways as intense as what the victim is experiencing. Think about that for a second. I imagine really taking in the weight of absolutely everything bad that you've ever done to another human being that caused them pain and feeling the emotional weight of that all at once not a pretty picture to think about is it do you see why in the bible again and again they're saying who's going to be able to stand because what is revealed in the wrath of the lamb is is a lamb who was slain for us we see there a self-sacrificing love revealed on the cross and when the world sees jesus coming back they're going to recognize that he was the one who laid down his life for them and as we see that we are going to be impacted He says that he comes back, his reward is with him to give to everyone according to what they have done. You see what's happening? It's a giving over to all of the results of the transgressions that we have done in our lives. And all of that is going to impact people. And they're going to experience in that moment what Jesus experienced in the Garden of Gethsemane when he said, My soul is distressed to the point of death. What he experienced on the cross when he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And if that's where the story ended, I would be terrified. But thankfully, look at Psalm 130. Hopefully you have it now. Psalm 130 says, out of the depths, I've cried to you, O Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my supplications. If you, Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But, so, so you see the question? Who could stand if you marked iniquities, if you came back and you told all of us, look, here's the full picture. If in a moment God revealed that to us, we could not handle it. We would die on the spot. The emotional baggage would be too much for us to handle. But the verse goes on to say, but there is forgiveness with you that you may be feared that you may be referenced, that we might have awe of who you are because there is free forgiveness provided for the entire planet. We can experience healing by seeing the lamb who was slain for us, who willingly laid down his life for us. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits. And in his word do I hope My soul waits for the Lord more than those who watch for the morning. Yes, more than those who watch for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is mercy and with him is abundant redemption. God is in the business of saving every single person. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So we go back to Revelation chapter seven and we find this 144,000, we find this wrath of the lamb and we have a new picture of it, don't we? We have a picture of a God of mercy, a God of grace, a God who in Isaiah 54 verse 10, he says, even though the mountains are taken out of their places, my steadfast love for you will not cease. And we find a group who stands because they recognize who God is and they've let him transform their hearts. After these things, uh, verse 9 goes, I looked and behold. Now, so here's the key thing in Revelation. Revelation chapter 1, he hears a trumpet and he looks and he sees Jesus. Revelation chapter 5, he hears that there's a lion. He looks and he sees a lamb. Again and again, he's told something and then he looks and he sees further clarification of it. So here he's told 144,000 are going to be sealed. And the very next thing that he's told is... After these things I looked and behold a great multitude which no one could number. Oh man, those are some of the best words in the entire Bible. Are you guys excited about that this morning? There, there was a number that no man can number. No wonder God told Abraham your descendants are going to be like the stars of heaven in number. No, no wonder it's like the sand of the seashore. No man can number the people that are going to be there with God in the end. Oh, this is good news. Of all nations, this is even better news, of all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues standing before the throne. This is not an exclusive thing. God is the opposite of exclusive. He wants everybody possible to be there. Standing, notice that, they're standing. So the answer to the question, who's going to be able to stand? Standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes, With palm branches in their hands. This is a sign of victory. Crying with a loud voice saying, Salvation belongs to us. For we figured out how to stand in the end. We knew exactly how to prepare for the time of trouble that was coming on the planet. And we figured it out. And we saved ourselves. Isn't that good news? Does your Bible say something different than mine? Look at verse 10. It says, and crying out with a loud voice saying, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. He's a God who saves. <laughs> He's a God who saves. And the world needs to hear this. I'm afraid that oftentimes they see a different picture of who God is. A picture of a God that's wanting them to be destroyed. But First Thessalonians tells us that God has destined no man to wrath. It's not His purpose for any person to experience that inner turmoil that would come and that destruction that would come from recognizing your sin in all of its terribleness. And then worship takes place. All the angels around the throne and the elders and the four living creatures fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen. Blessing and glory, wisdom, thanksgiving, and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders saying to me, said to me, Who are these arrayed in white robes? And where do they come from? He wants he wants John to ask a few more questions. John's just enjoying the worship, I guess. And I said to him, Sir, you know. So he said to me, These are the ones who came out of the great tribulation and washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. (laughs) They just kept looking to Jesus. They kept pouring through their Bibles and saying, where is this God of love? Is this for real? Is this what his character is all about? And their own lives were transformed to become pure white by beholding the Lamb of God and allowing his spirit to seal them. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will dwell among them. They will neither hunger anymore nor thirst anymore. The sun will not strike them nor any heat. For the lamb who is in the midst of the throne will shepherd them. (laughs) This is good news. He will shepherd them and lead them to living fountains of waters. And then this last line I don't want you to miss. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Let's take a moment to think about have you ever had somebody come to you and you're crying because you're devastated about something and they come up to you and they wipe the tears from your eye. How close do you have to be to a person for them to come up and do that to you? You have to have a really close relationship. But God comes to each and every human being and he wipes the tears away. And what I believe that is saying is God is going to make sense of this mess that we have on this planet and he's going to make sense of the difficult things you've gone through in your life. The loved one you lost. The job you lost. The people that have mistreated you. The things that have been unfair and unjust in your life. God is going to wipe away all those tears. He's going to reveal to you how His love was there for you. How he was holding back the four winds of strife, making things as the best possible thing for you on this this planet in order ultimately to choose eternity with Jesus. I want to have those tears wiped away. I think the more and more that I see Jesus and his love, the more those tears can even today begin to be wiped away. As I wrote to The principal, he got the letter, anticipating what the response is going to be. And finally, I get a response back, and he says, Zach, I'm not sure what you're talking about. So I wrote back some more details. Well, you remember when this happened and this happened. He's like, Zach, I don't remember that. Don't worry about it. Oh, man. I'd been living for years with that guilt on my heart, and I didn't need to. And you don't need to live with guilt or shame one more day. Psychologists show again and again how this physically hurts your life. But there is forgiveness full and free as you look to the cross of Jesus Christ and say, Okay, God, I accept. I accept who you are and I want you. I want to enter into a relationship with you. This is a deepening experience that each of us need to experience more and more. And so today, I just want to invite you to bow your heads and to ask God that he would take you maybe a step further. Maybe maybe you're sitting here and you're thinking, yeah, I know about Jesus. I know all these things. That's great. But I would posit that we aren't sealed yet. That we need a clearer picture of his love so that by beholding, we can be transformed. So would you ask him, maybe it's to to give you ideas about where to read in the bible and how to spend more more time with him each day how to how to pursue this love relationship in a deeper way or maybe today you're thinking yeah when when i look at who's able to stand and i recognize that those that oppress people are are not a part of those in the end uh, that kind of steps on my toes maybe you recognize that there's some violence that you're viewing that's causing some problems. I don't know what it is for you, but just ask Jesus to show you. Or maybe today you're thinking I don't even know if God is real. My I'm not sure about this, then just be open with him and say, "God, I want for you to reveal yourself to me." In the silence of your own heart, just give him that opportunity now. Father, thank you that salvation belongs to our God. That there will be a great multitude before that throne. And yet, Father, we know that many people are turning their backs on that. And Father, we ask that our hearts would be fully set and sealed by the love of Jesus Christ. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.